Hello everyone and welcome to the Coach Stokes Said So podcast. I'm your host, Coach Steve Stokes. What's up guys? Today I'm going to introduce you to my guy, my business partner, my former teammate, one of my best friends, Mr. GYM himself, Daryl D. Hill. Coach Hill and I have known each other for 16 years and we talk almost daily just about training and how we can be better at what we do. In this podcast, he's going to introduce himself and and we're going to do like we normally do when we talk and we're going to go in 10 different directions, but it's all about sports, uh, perspectives on how we feel about the game, just so you get to understand our personalities a little bit better. And then we wrap it up just saying why we coach. So I hope you enjoy Please share the podcast if you like what you hear. Comment, give us feedback if you want us to share something else so we can get back to you as soon as possible. But this is something we want to make a routine, something we want to be consistent in and bringing these talks to you guys. But we want you guys to drive the content. So here it is. Hello, hello, hello. It's good. We got you here. All right. So we got Mr. GYM himself, Daryl, Coach Daryl Hill on the line. Finally, it's, it's been a long time coming, man. I've been trying to get this podcast thing working for a while. We had some bumps in the road, but we're here now, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, man. Uh, I've known this dude going on uh, almost 20 years, man. It's been it's been a minute, about 16, 17 years. Um. <laughs> Yeah, we played together back in the day, uh, football at uh, Wayne State College in Detroit. Don't know what either one of us was doing there. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I can say uh, I am I am happy for the fact that I went there because I got to meet this dude, you know what I'm saying? And you keep a friendship going strong for 20 years, and that's something worthwhile. Um, we actually both uh, – we didn't play the same position while we was there, but at heart we've both been running backs since day one. Um, and I just wanted to get, uh, give you guys a chance to hear his story on why he got first into football, but now why into training. And then uh, I'll give a little perspective on, on why I coach and do what I do nowadays. You just got done with the work. What time is it down there? Man, it's, uh, two o'clock, two a.m. Two o'clock in the morning. So he should be asleep, but he stayed up just for this. And, and I told you we've been friends for almost 20 years. So, you know, he old. And <laughs> so ready to go to sleep. Yeah, we, we old. <laughs> you see, I try to slide that in there. But, no, he's ready to go to sleep. And um, it's, on, it's noon here in Finland, Helsinki, where I'm at. But 2 a.m. where he's at. So I appreciate you staying up to speak with us today. Uh, and if you could just give us a little insight about, you know, your background, what you're all about, and why we call you coach. Um, well, first of all, it is Daryl D. Hill. I'll say the D. You know, don't forget that. Um, but no, nah, man, uh, just growing up, I've always been this athletic, man. I mean, you know, I always loved the game of football as a little kid. Um, fell in love with growing up in Chicago, 
fell in love with Walter Payton. I thought it was, I thought I was him, you know. I tried to run like him. If I didn't see him with having gloves on, I didn't wear gloves because he didn't wear them. That was my guy, man. I still remember I cried the day he uh the day he died. I had a game that day too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And back then, man, everybody wanted number thirty-four, man. Everybody, that was the number. You know, I mean, I ended up uh with number twenty-one throughout my career. You know, fell in love with that number. And I was a Barry Sanders fan too, as well. He was twenty-one. People don't know, I got twenty-one kind of for him. You know, okay. he's 21 in college. See, people always remember 20, but he's 21 in college. Is he hanging up in my closet, man? The orange 21, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. That's why Thurman, that's why Thurman Thomas had to get out there real quick, you know, because uh, <laughs> old Barry's on his heels. <laughs> man, you, you, you talking old people talk right now. Don't nobody know who Thurman Thomas is with the T-Bird. <laughs> hey, and that's the problem. That's the problem. But if you if you met those of you that remember Thurman Thomas, he had that four square uh, face mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And I wanted one of those face masks. You know what I'm saying? I didn't. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> I did, man. I, I, oh man! I tried to put one of those on once. It made me cockeyed. I'm like, I don't you run around and, and play football with a big bar sitting in the middle of your eyes. Those are. I mean, that's that. That. They don't have that in today's football. No, they no, they don't have those at all, man. They don't have it. You gotta think they don't even got the open face mask really. Like that, like the uh the one Dion used to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. That's so, I don't hear these conversations no more. Maybe we going all the way to the left right now, but now that I'm thinking about it, I look at my son who who's eleven years old now and the talks he has about football and being around football coaching young kids. I see kids of all ages. I've been coaching professional men over the last 15 years or so. And I remember, you know, you just took me back because I ain't thought about it in that long. But I remember Pop Warner, I needed to have a back flap, the right face mask, and the right number. And the number was based off of the people we saw playing as well as the face and face mask being a big discussion back in the day. Like, you, you had to fight for the right face mask or go buy your own or something. Like, it was a big deal. But I, I had to have that Walter Payton open face mask, man. man. Open face mask. <laughs> you put your whole fist in there, you know? <laughs> the, uh, I remember for a while when I thought it was a DB, I had the one with the two little sidebars. And oh, that, oh, that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the Emmett. That's the Emmett, man. That's the Emmett. I ain't like Emmett, though. I don't, I don't like yeah, it. Me neither, man. Me neither, man. Why you don't? Why you don't like him? I, I don't like him just because. Well, for one, I don't like the fact that he stayed and just tried to try to take my man's record, man. You know what I'm saying? He, he wasn't even worth nothing. Yeah. But uh, reason for him to be a cartoon. So like he was just a victim of just being in a good situation, man. I just never thought he was a great back, and I guess he is. But how you uh, in a good situation? Because of the line he had, for one, My you know what I mean, he will be a victim. I mean, he's a product of, or he he was he was privileged, privileged. We call that he had running back privilege. <laughs> he did, cause cause you can't be mad at that. You can't be mad at it. But I was mad at it. You know how like, you know how you just don't like somebody sometimes, but you don't know why you don't like them. Oh, I can. I don't. I can't put my finger on him. I just didn't like him. Like you just say, try to take my man's record and. 
we just we we talk yeah. athletes. We we totally hop topic and just went all the way left, but it's cool because this this is stuff I like to talk about anyway. Um, I can tell you why I don't like them, and I'm not saying I don't like them as a person. And full disclosure, right. we're talking about any National Football League employee, any NFL player, they can ball. You you don't get the NFL if you can't ball. But now we're talking about comparing the best of the best against the best. And when I talk about Emmitt Smith, they always used to compare him to Barry Sanders, and it just made no sense to me. Even as a child, I'm like, there's no way you can compare what these men can do athletically to one another. Yes, Emmitt had running back privilege, and that used to piss me off because, I mean, it was like the social class of America. Barry Sanders was basically like a poor minority who had nothing and had to fight for every yard he got with no type of support system. And Emmitt Smith was living as a, a privileged running back where everything was just handed to him on a silver platter and he just got to kind of skate his way through. So he had a much easier road to get to where he wanted to go. And again, you know, you can't be mad at somebody because they take advantage of the opportunities presented to them. I just didn't like him in comparison to Barry Sanders. But the biggest thing that irritated the life out of me about Barry, about, about Emmitt Smith, he never switched the ball. He always kept the ball in the same. The right hand. In his right hand. Always. And that, to me, magnified in a negative way, limitations, like a fear of being able to move the ball to the appropriate arm because as a true running back should know, you always carry the ball in the outside arm. And the fact that he wouldn't do that, seeing him, you know, I don't remember if it was right arm or left arm. I just knew it was weird, but say it's right. It's right. We're going to, I don't have a fact-checking device on me right now, but let's just say you're right, and it was the right arm. Seeing him run to the left when he was holding the right arm was just painful. you just holding the ball to the same side that the defense is pursuing you, and that just really – that bothered me as somebody that pays so much attention to you. As a child, like, I'm, I understood the details. I had an amazing coach that, that taught me at a very young age, like, bro, you got to have a ball on the outside arm just to be a better athlete, let alone ball security. And I'm not saying that, I mean, he, you know, ball security issues. He didn't fumble a lot, but he just didn't look like the right athlete because he didn't. You got to think, you got to think, man. You're lessening your chance in a fight, man. It's like trying to fight somebody with one arm. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're running to the, you got the ball on the outside hand. You know, you got that free hand to be able to knock somebody out if you have to, man. I, I guess you know? the side of that is saying even though, but I guess that shows you how much more privilege he had because he had enough privilege to do it the wrong way and still be great of all time. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's the type of privilege he had. If he did that in Detroit, man, you'd have never heard of this dude. <laughs> he, um, I don't think you would have ever had a thousand yard rushing season. I'm just going to, hey, crucify me for it if you want, but that's real talk. Like you. No, no. You, I say. The right things the way you're supposed to, and you do, like when you don't have that privilege, you got to be perfect, you got to be special, you got to do extra, extra just to get noticed, let alone to be in 
you know, a championship scenario or to be regarded to as one of the best, you got to go above and beyond everything else when you have not only the lack of privilege, but the cards stacked against you. And with that being said, the man that was in Detroit was averaging 13, 1400 yards all the way till he left. Till he stopped playing. And he was one that I would have been honored. I would have been so happy for him if he would have broke the record. You know what I mean? How, how did you... I, just want, I didn't want Emmitt Smith to break it. Like, Barry Sanders would have been – nobody would have any gripes about it, man. You know what I'm saying? Give it to him, not Emmitt, man. You know? Uh, yeah. How, how did you feel Barry Sanders retired? I – he 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 left. He left. Um, it was. It, I felt empty. I felt empty, man. You know what I mean? You want to see more? And to this day, we haven't seen a Barry Sanders, man. So, I don't know if you ever will. I, I would say, I would say, like it, it was like your favorite show on TV getting canceled out of nowhere. You know, I was just like, hold on, man. I was waiting for the next season. And y'all just gonna cut the show off. You, you ain't had no exclamation mark or no, no uh, final episode, no finale, no nothing. Like you just gonna walk away. And yeah, empty, empty is a, is a excellent classification for how I felt at that time. Like I was like, bro, are you serious? And I, I remember I watched Detroit. I tried to, I tried to ride, rock with Detroit for a few years after that because I'm like, man, he coming back? Or you know, I thought he was gonna do like Beast Mode did. You know, walk away on his own accord and then just come back when the situation was right for him. And but it never got right. It never got right. Detroit never let him lose. That's what I'm saying. I, I thought, you know, they would do something to let the contract be released, let him be traded, you know, just let the man be free. But it's like, you know, they they holding him prisoner. But just... no, hey, man, I'm going to tell you what it is, man. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a marriage, man. They didn't want to sign the divorce papers, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? They say, man, hey, the relationship is over. Like, let me go. Let me go, man. They didn't want to let them. Hey, hey, my wife tried to leave me. I, I probably ain't going to sign them papers. <laughs> I'll make it. <laughs> make it difficult. Hey, you ain't going to be with me. You're going to be all the way out the game, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you gotta leave. You just gotta leave. Like, you know? <laughs> and never come back because I ain't signing them papers. <laughs> I, I can uh, in that regard, you know. I, I can relate to him in that regard. But yeah, I mean, just think. You said beast mode. Just think, he'd still be out of the game if, if the Seahawks didn't release it because he didn't want to play for the Seahawks. That's you know true. What I mean? Well, I mean, and and to be honest. I would have. I was surprised he came back the year after they gave the Super Bowl to the Patriots for them not to give him the ball down there at all on the one yard line. I mean, if your nickname is Beast Mode, come on, man. Like that was one of the dumbest calls I've ever seen in the history of. Sports. In the history, in the history, it upsets me, man. By me not even being a fan of of the Seahawks, but it has nothing to do with being a fan of the Seahawks. That's something to do with being a fan of football. Yeah, that's just, that's just a bad football play. Yeah, and you know, you know we're we going to segue. We're going to take another left. We're we going to take two lefts. We take one more. We'll be back right where we're supposed to be. But 
the fact that it was the Patriots. The Patriots to me is like the Spurs, like the San Antonio Spurs of the NFL. Like they just always there and they coached so well. They know how to play the game. They know the system of it. So it don't matter like really who's there. You could put anybody in there and they're going to get the most out of them. Much respect for that. That's great coaching. I say the coach. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Pardon me. I don't root for them to lose. Like, I'm not hating on them. I, I got mad respect for them. They're, I would say, arguably, the greatest franchise the NFL has ever seen for the legacy that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been able to put together. I would I would argue they're the best NFL franchise ever put together for longevity. I hate them. I hate them. I'm, I'm <laughs> strong words. Like, I can't stand them. Yeah, that's strong words. I stand by them. Stand by them, man. All the time I ever want them to win. But what are you when Moss played? Why are you hating greatness? I'm not hating greatness. I'm hating I'm hating some other 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 stuff, man. I almost said something. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I hate I hate the Tom Brady rule they came out with. Or I mean the Tuck rule. Okay, yeah. They stole that Super Bowl over 20 years ago, man. And I still can't get over it. I can't get over it. Yeah, without everywhere Ooh. in life. At the same- for that, for that, I hate the Patriots, and I will always hate the Patriots. Okay, so it's personal for you because they stole it from. It's the- very personal. I understand. Very it. personal. Okay, that's why. Wait, wait. I gotta tell you one more thing. That's why coming being from Chicago, I always got a place for the Bears in my heart. So I hate Green Bay. Love <laughs> Charles Woodson. Okay. I was happy when Charles Woodson got him a ring because he deserved it. Cause they took it from him when he was with the Ravens. Yeah, they did. Yes, I'm not gonna lie, they did. I mean, that was, and, and for them to, for the, that's the thing that I, I think the asterisk that goes next to the Patriots for the controversy that they've had, you know, with Deflate Gate and all that crap, and you know the Tuck Rule and things like that. Which is which is not even a rule, by the way, anymore. It don't that, even exist. But what I'm saying is, they've been in so many. I can't name another franchise, let alone, you know, uh, a partnership like Brady and Belichick that have been through so many of these close call scenarios and they just keep coming out on the other side. It's like that character you watching in the TV show that you're like, come on, man, like dude would have been dead or dude, like you can't keep winning, but they just keep writing it in the script. And that's almost what it seems like, like it was almost scripted for them to get these storybook endings or these type of situations where they actually came out on top because it just, it really shouldn't happen in a lot of instances. You're talking about the course of maybe, I'd say three plays right now, three plays right now that take away Super Bowl rings for them or even the probability of it because they don't have one right now. But I, I go back to, you go back to the tuck move. That goes the other way. No, no, no opportunity for them to go to the boat. You talk about uh, the call the Seahawks made not to give Lynch the ball and to throw that dumb pass. You know, I understand it's a high percentage play, but still, like, just hand the ball. You quarterback sneaking as close as they were. So they just handed them another one, right? And then just recently, my my man D. Ford in in a championship game. Like, the Patriots came out and did. Game over. Game over. And 
for, for Kansas City to come back the way they did, I was like, man, this is it. It's finally the turn of the tide. You know, you already got golf and, and the, the young Rams in there controversially as well, but they in there. So this is the, the new NFL we're seeing. We're seeing the new NFL. And then Mahomes come in and they go in. The best thing about the Patriots, I say from time to time getting their legacy and everything, they, they've always been teams that keep you right there, keep you right there. They ain't blowing you out all the time, except like when they had Randy Moss. But they stay, keep the game close no matter what, or they dominate in the beginning. But the key to their success is the fact that they go in at halftime and nobody matches them when they come out at halftime. The Golden State Warriors the same way. Their third quarters are unbelievable. And that's how the Patriots are. They always came out after halftime with the perfect plan to put them in a position to win. Like, they had the best halftime adjustments to me. And that, to, that's that's what makes the champion right there. You plan two, three weeks. You plan all offseason. You plan for whatever you're going to do for your opponent. And then the whistle blow, the ball gets kicked, and you get punched in the mouth. And that whole plan can go right out the window. So then, you know, you're going through that first half, and you're in a fight. When you go into halftime, it's all about the halftime talk. And that's why I give Bill Belichick his respect because he got to, he got to have the best halftime talk in the game for the way his teams come out in the second half and take care of business. But the Chiefs came out in the second half. Andy Reid got it, finally was about to get over that, huh? They came out and they did exactly what they needed to do to put themselves in a position to win. Now, I always look at every every Patriot game now when the fourth quarter come around. When the fourth quarter come around, I'm looking at how much time are they going to leave on the clock to give Tom Brady the ball. You can't give him no time. You can't give him no time. And when he got the ball in that last drive, I was like, they gave him too much time. We already know what's going to happen. Then he throws a pick. Very un-Tom Brady-like. Very unpatriot-like. And I'm just like, this is it. It finally turns. And this man lined up offsides. Discipline. Bro, you cannot. You can, But he – like, discipline is one of the best D-liners in the league. This ain't been a common problem, and for him to do it on that play of all plays for their whole season, like, this the stuff they write in movies and stuff. Like, they just keep scripting the Patriots to go to the... Right, you just, you just put that in the script, man. You just put that in the script. You changed the whole script, man. Like I didn't even know you changed the script. I can respect coaching and hard work, but things like that, that ain't got nothing to do with how good the Patriots are. That seems like something that was within the script. Like, it just, man, the game was over. Done deal. Yeah. Done deal. Done deal. Craziness. Hey, you know what's crazy, man, about that? To turn take another left, I guess? Mm-hmm. Me as a coach, me as a trainer, when I'm with my kids and I'm in my dynamic warming up, I make sure everybody's behind the line. Oh man, if they're not behind the line, man. I tell them to get behind the line. I give them three strikes. Well, I, well I'm out. The third one go. The third one happens. I got something special for them. I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> they might do suicide. They might do a, a marathon of whatever burpees or something. Well, but I, I do something for them to pay for that. So you have to be disciplined. Right. And now, when I tell them about being disciplined, I talk about this Kansas City and Patriots game. Some of those little things. Can, can cause a big problem if you, if you don't take care of him. And that was a very small thing that he could have done and the game would have been over. Oh. And not, not saying there was a problem, but it was a problem on that day, on that play. Man. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to be perfect. Football's a game of inches. I hit you with every cliche in the book. 
I am exactly the same way from day one. I don't care if I'm working with four-year-olds or 40-year-olds. We get out there and we warm up. I don't care how lazy or relaxed the warm-up is. Do not step on my line. Mm-hmm. If you own that, mm-hmm. and I ask the tip light, that's my tip light, man. It's blinking. Man. You know what I mean? I get all up in their face and I tell them point blank, look, if I can't trust you not to stand on the line, I'm gonna trust you to make the play when the game is on the line. I'm gonna trust you to do your job if you can't even line up right. Like that's that's the mentality I think that's missing in a lot of uh been going through here coaching in Europe because it's a whole different ball game, bro. Like, I remember Pop Warner, I always wanted to go to practice and play. I just had fun. Ever since high school, we had practice two to three hours every single day after school. Fridays, we played games at 7 to 10. And after school was over at 3, from 4 to 7, you was with the team. You wasn't allowed to go nowhere. So you're talking about this is basically your whole life. And then Saturday mornings, we had to be back at the field to run Striders at 7 a.m. the next morning. So you couldn't be out partying or doing nothing stupid the night after the game. Like, you knew you had to get up in the morning, go watch film and run and get a little lift in and work some kinks out. You're talking six days a week, bro. That's just all football. I come to Europe, man, we practice twice a week at the professional level. So <laughs> the, that type of uh, a culture into the brain of someone who's like, bro, I do this twice a week leisurely and then play a game it's difficult it's difficult to to really put that to really instill that type of discipline and dedication into somebody that doesn't do it as often now when i say that out loud how much we did it in high school i'm like man that's overkill (laughs) especially being out here and doing the exact opposite but i also understood too like we played precise excellent football out here i mean it's a lot like basketball. If you got a if you got a killer on the field, you know one person can really change the game. That's a lot less likely when you got eleven trained, well coached football players on the field. You know one player can make a difference, but it's a lot more difficult for them to just completely take over and dominate a whole game. When you see it, it's like a unicorn or an anomaly. But out here, that's much more common. Like you get that beast on your squad, just feed them the rock, do whatever you got to do. They're gonna take over. You know, they're going to change things because the culture is, is so different. So we took three lefts and we're back to the beginning. You was talking about who inspired you to start playing. What got you into coaching, man? You know what, man? I never even would have thought. I never wanted to coach, man. I never wanted to coach, man. Uh, after my playing days was over, when I was over, uh, I still trained very hard, like as if I were playing. And people used to think I was playing in the NFL somewhere still, something or not still <laughs> playing in the NFL. So I wanted to keep stay in the game some kind of way. So I started studying and stuff like that. I started training people, this and that. But I never thought I would be a coach. I never, like I said, I never had no, 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 even likelihood to coach. I, it wasn't even in my cars. I didn't think it was. I kind of fell up on it, man. And as I trained, started training some of these kids when I moved out here to Cole, Washington. Uh, it started happening, man. I started loving it, man. I started loving running around with the kids, being able to teach you, especially the youth. They listen to every word you say for the most part, man. 
and especially if you can still run around and move with them and still be young, because they keep you very young, uh, it's just a great thing, man. It's a great feeling. Uh, it keeps me in a game, a game that I love, a game that I don't play. You know what I mean? Uh, I remember I had a friend that asked me to play for them uh, a few years ago. Semi-pro? Excuse me? Semi-pro? I know, uh, in Europe. Oh, okay, okay. You know? You talking about me? You remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And although I know I can still do it, man, it's just like, I was at a point now, man, you know what? My days are over, and I want to give back to these kids and help them get to a place and help them uh, reach their goals, man. So me being a trainer and coach, I think is one and the same. A lot of these kids I train plays the sport that I, I, I train them for. And people, the word gets around and people start wanting me to coach and I've been around the game and then it just started happening. Now, I always say I'm not going to coach, but I can't not coach. <laughs> you know, time when that season comes up, I got to do something. I got to coach. I feel like I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a mentor. Uh, and I didn't even think I was a mentor. This is what Pete, this is just the feedback that I get, you know, um, so Something that I thought I would never do is something that I actually love to do. You know what I mean? And it teaches me the game more. Like, I mean, you can keep learning the game. Like, you can't like yeah. learn enough of the game. It's crazy. <laughs> so many, you know? like, uh, in any sport, the, the, you pay the more you can pay attention to details, the more you can achieve. And, and for me, it's it's always kind of been like that. I think I always knew, not that I want hope, but. Like, not to actually coach a team, but I knew I wanted to help people. You know, I wanted to help bring people. Like, I was a tutor most of the time in high school and in college. And I always found myself in positions where I was helping people. I, I, even when I was 16 years old, I remember starting a program for the JV players that were coming up to varsity. Because I remember when I came to varsity, um, I felt like the first couple of weeks – it was just a whirlwind of new information, and it wasn't even about playing football or the skills I had. It was about knowing how to act as a varsity player, knowing what the coaches expected of you, how to line up, how to do the hit drill. We had a little drill we used to do before every practice. Like these things that ingrain these habits in you kind of in a, in a military standard. So I felt like it took a, a, a while for me to learn those things. But I was so into it, I picked it up. But I saw a lot of guys fall through the cracks, leave the team, and quit. And I'm like, there was some some talent out there that we lost just for the fact that they didn't understand how to get into the system. So I put together my own program with the permission of the varsity coaches where I took some JV cats out and, and I taught them how it's going to be when it is to get to varsity. So when they showed up to the first time to their varsity practices, it wasn't just a brand-new experience for them. And that was my first time, like, man, I'm a trainer slash coach. Like, I, I like to help people and pass on what I know and what I've been through. I actually, after we left um, Wayne, well, I left Wayne State a year before you and then went played DB in uh, Eastern Oregon. And it was nice to get a change of pace out of Detroit, but still football wasn't football how I loved it as a kid. So I gave it up. I was a rapper for <laughs> about like eight months. Where I just hung up the cleats. I'm like, I'm done with football. And that high school coach or my college coach that taught me basically everything I ever knew about running back from a fundamental standpoint hit me up and he had just got a head coaching job at a high school and asked me to come over there and coach. And 
Um, I just jumped on it, and within a year, I was his offensive coordinator. But that's actually what got me back into playing, let alone because, you know, I never thought I was going to be a coach in that regard. I know it's going to help people, but to actually, you know, be on the team, be on the sideline, and then to see these young boys looking up to you and, and listening and hanging on to your every word, that was powerful. And, and I loved that, but I also hated it because I realized – when we was in a team and you got 70 kids out there and then even when we divide them up amongst coaches, I got 15 guys looking at me for advice and I get them for 20 minutes. And I was like, you know, I can help as a group, but there's a lot of guys that need that individual work that I just couldn't get to. And it really frustrated me. Like I felt like there was so much left undone. So while they inspired me and got me excited being back in the game, I started working on myself and got back into playing and ended up playing for almost 15 years after that. But at the same time, always coached as well wherever I went. And that's when uh, I realized, too, that I wanted to be more personal. I didn't want to be a personal trainer, but I wanted to be able to get small groups of kids and really focus on the minute details of what it meant to actually be an athlete before anything. You know, so nowadays I work with kids that not just for football, basketball, tennis, uh, soccer, hockey. It really doesn't matter. Like, if you just want to become a better athlete, I even got clients that, like, I don't take normal clients. I won't I won't take you to the gym and work you out to get in shape. I, you can do that on your own time or watch a YouTube video for all I care. But if somebody comes at me and they're like, man, teach me how to be an athlete, teach me how to move, then I'm all over that because I want people to understand how they use their bodies to the best of their ability. Um, I'm addicted to that, man. Like, you can't, you can't cheat it. You can't take a shortcut. You can't, you can't put no cheat code in. Like, to me, that's the essence of visually seeing and feeling what hard work will actually do for you, what putting the time in will actually do for you. And I love, I mean, I'm addicted to that, seeing that, the face of that kid or, even an adult, when you help them understand something that's, that was always inside of them that they just never knew how to unlock it. And when you unlock it and that light bulb goes off, man, that's why I do this and why I'm going to do this probably to the day I die. Man, man, you, you hit so many points that were similar to a, the way I believe, man. One reason why I like love being a personal trainer because just just that. I like being personal with kids, man. Like, you're supposed to get, you should get paid for whatever you're, you're great at, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And and I don't hate on organizations that do it, but I just separate myself from being like that. Meaning, I don't want to get 80 kids and take them through all these ladder drills and sophisticated moves when they don't even know how to move their body correctly anyway. But See, parents get lost into that, to that, you know, man, if, if this guy played professionally or or all the kids are going there, so they pay all this money and stuff, but the kids don't even learn anything because this kid might not be elite, you know, might not, you know, be elite. He needs that tutor. He needs that personal training. So give me one or two, three or four kids, you know. Really, really, I love having one and just putting laser focus on, his deficiencies and what he can do to become better. And the feedback that I've gotten from parents, man, they love it. Cause 
these organizations that they go to where it's overly saturated, they're like, man, my kid's not even learning anything. He's not even getting better. And the gratification to to me, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that's society as a whole. Like, you know, our species, you know, I I start going, (laughs) we done made three lefts and we back to the center of why we doing this. So we're going to wrap it up pretty soon. So this don't end up being the longest podcast ever, but, um, this will probably segue into what we talk about next time. When we talk about us as a species, because of how we walk and how we are born, we come out ill-prepared with an undeveloped, underdeveloped brain to allow us to move how we should move throughout the world. It takes us almost a year to stand up and just walk. You know, when the next animal closest to us is doing that and in, in less than two months so you know there's a huge gap there where we're still developing when we come out the womb but the thing that is developed when we come out is a lot of our senses and as soon as we can start to see properly and, and understand things are moving around us we start to interpret that movement from our backs for almost a year before we actually you know start rolling over and crawling and walking and there's so much incorrect information because, again, you have an underdeveloped brain and you're a baby that you cannot process correctly. So you try to imitate imitate things, but you imitate them incorrectly. Like, like the, the first time a child tries to imitate driving the car, what they do? They stick their hands out and they move their arms side to side like they do in the steering wheel. But we all, everybody knows that drives knows that that's not driving. That's, that's not how you drive at all. That's what a cartoon looks like or how a baby would imitate what driving looks like, but that's not driving. The same exact thing happens when it comes to running, jumping, stopping, moving. We imitate the things we see around us, but we don't pick it up correctly. It's, it's, it's more rare than seeing a unicorn for someone to actually interpret athletic movement correctly, just visually. And we stick our kids into PE classes. And we stick our kids on to sports teams and we put them in environments and we say, you know, they're going to get it. They're going to learn the sport. They're going to learn the game. And through that, you know, their coordination will come together or they'll figure it out. And you end up with these kids that might be really good at a sport, but can't transition to another sport or a kid that just never really gets over the hump or the kid that never gets picked for a team because no one ever showed them how to move correctly. And it just didn't compute in their head. And for the kids that they say are natural athletes, they might pick up some of these things a little easier than others, but you give me your best natural athlete and I'll tell you everything that they're doing incorrectly. They're just doing it with a little more fast twitch fibers or a little bit more muscle than the kid next to them. So they might look better doing it. That was one of my biggest problems. I would say coming up was the fact that I did have, you know, a good muscle makeup. So when I did do something repetitively, I would become powerful at it. But there's a lot of things I did repetitively and in excess incorrectly. So I built up powerful, incorrect movements, which later ended up costing me surgery, causing me injuries that I could not foresee as a kid that was just trying to make it to the NFL. I want to be an NFL player when I get older. I want to be the best athlete I can be repetitively doing something wrong, getting stronger and stronger and stronger in incorrectness. I spend most of my time training kids not to do what they've been doing. 
I untrain kids more than I train them. That's why I don't even call myself a trainer anymore. That's why I just stick with the coach title because I'm like, I can't, I'm not training you forward. I'm trying to unprogram all the bad habits you picked up since you was one years old and started walking and misinterpreting what you were seeing around you. And everybody just let And you, you know what, man? You know what? You know what's the best thing about that? Best thing about that is even when a kid don't get stuff you're trying to get him, but you're untraining him, and he just stopped in the middle of the drill, and he know that he's doing it wrong. I get excited. <laughs> yeah, man. Because now at least he knows that he's doing what he's trying to do the wrong way, and he's trying to fix it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We got we're, we're rewiring him so or her, so it's gonna take some time. So you gotta be patient with him, man. And when it clicks, it clicks. They get excited. I get excited. Yeah, man. <laughs> Just keep moving that's forward. the moment. We're we going to end it on that note. Like, that's the moment uh, I think that keeps us going as coaches. I mean, I'm speaking on your behalf, but I can say it with confidence. We've had enough talks, and that's the whole reason we wanted to start this podcast, too, because every time you and I hop on the phone, we, we get in about one subject, and it just goes on for an hour or two with us not just sit on a soapbox and telling everything we know, but actually celebrating these moments. And while we do that, how many different ideas have sparked because of that and how much we, we've grown as trainers just in this communication. So the whole point of me putting this podcast out there is to talk to, to you publicly and some other trainers that I deal with. But I really just want to get the word out there more that people should know that they need that more personal experience or parents even need to learn what it is to move correctly because most parents like you'll be hard pressed to find a parent that knows what they're doing or talking about or can talk to their child at a very, very young age. I'm talking when the kid is two years old, there's key things you tell them how to move so that when they come to see coach Stokes, he ain't got to unprogram. Then I can actually train them. You think about that. When you get kids, you don't have to unprogram and you can actually train them. Woo! That's a whole nother human being right there. But I said, we're going to end on this note. And, um, I leave it. You got to end because I almost want to talk some more about it, but we got to end. Definitely got to end. <laughs> yeah. Let's leave with the message. I always want to leave with an important message and a takeaway. And the takeaway for me, even if nobody ever listens to this podcast, it's just me and you. My takeaway is that we want to continue to celebrate, celebrate recognizing our flaws. I think too often kids realize they do something wrong and they get depressed. They say, I'm sorry. I don't need your sorry. I need you to be happy that you realize something was off. Now, mm-hmm. if you're running around thinking you're doing it right and you're wrong, that's when we got a big problem. But when you realize something is off, hallelujah, let's celebrate that. Rejoice in the fact that you know that something's off and we're going to fix it. Now it's time to fix it. And now it's time to fix it. You're going to mm-hmm. feel it when it's right. And when you feel it when it's right, woo, you better get addicted to that. And, and every time you do it, mm-hmm. you're going to know. And then that's when you coach yourself. That's when you got a coach inside your head all the time because you can coach yourself. But, yeah, man, I just want to say thank you to Coach Hill for uh, spending his time. It's, what is it, like 3 a.m. there now? <laughs> Yeah, whatever. I don't got know. into it for a minute, but I mean, I, I guess that's how it's going to be with me. You get to, to chopping it up. Um, okay. man, as always, we will get back to this as soon as possible. I would like to say it would be a, a weekly occurrence, but with the time difference and just the, the scheduling of things, that's not something we can commit to openly right now, but we will definitely be back on here 
for another chat. If there's something those of you out there listening would like us to talk about, discuss, dig into in more detail, please drop us a note, comment, however you want to do it. Hit us up some kind of way. We're very accessible on social media. And we will address what you guys want to. Otherwise, we're just going to hop on here again and talk about the things that are, are sparking our coaching interest. Uh, Hill, I'll leave you with the opportunity to drop your social media tagline so they know how to get into contact with you for your services or just to pick your brain or drop a topic on you. So if you want to tell people how they can reach you. Oh, that's easy, man. Uh uh, Instagram is Mr. Uh, G.Y.M. Just to get your money, that's what it mm-hmm. is. Uh, Facebook is the same. Mr. Period G.Y.M. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. I'm on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter too much. So, you know, you don't really got to contact me there. But, uh, Facebook. Yeah, I don't, I don't really actively use it. Um. But Facebook and Instagram for Mr. GYM, uh, he takes the acronym of Jim and turns it into get your money, if you didn't know. Because uh, what you say, pain is where the money come from? Pain is where the money come from, always. Think about it. Think about it. If you want to reach me, uh, you already listening to the Coach Stokes SO podcast. You hop on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, any of those things, type in Coach Stokes SO, and you will be led my direction. Why? Because Coach Show says so. Over and out. Peace.